Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 33. Today we have Ostap. He's going to be breaking things down for you. He does that online on YouTube a lot. He'll break down videos. And um, we'll talk about his uh, competitive career. We'll talk about his breakdown, his, him breaking down videos and, and a lot of his philosophies for training and competing. Gary, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you, Byron? I'm doing great. Gary Ready is for the... Uh, another day here of uh, another episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Every week. I want everybody to know, Gary is the only man that has been known that he once broke out of Alcatraz, swam across, perfected his Camorra, came back to the other, to the island, and Camorra'd everybody. And he got me out of jail again that way. Yeah. You, so, you know, when those guards are afraid of the Camorras, they'll let you out. <laughs> so that that was quite an accomplishment. I didn't realize you are such a swimmer, and uh, in the cold waters nonetheless, I mean, that's, that is impressive, Gary. Well, I did have floaties, so uh, that made a big difference. You yeah, something to think of. But all the pool parties I see yet, you always have those nice, you know, pink or yellow floaties on your arms. Yeah, you know, and they really help uh, with my jujitsu. So uh, <laughs> I can't go wrong with it. Oh, Gary, I hope you could swim, man. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm horrible, but oh well. You got to be able to keep your head above water. That's the minimum. I can do that. Okay, yeah, good. I can do that. All right, guys, we've got our quote of the week is from Jonathan Thomas. He was our interview from last week. Um, we'll go ahead and roll that. I can think more of quotes that I don't like, um, but there's definitely <laughs> a lot that I really like. Um, well, yeah, I think this this is one thing that uh, is a big pet peeve of mine that uh, I think is very detrimental to a lot of people. Um, is people say, uh, you know, you want to be a ma- don't be a jack of all trades, be a master of one kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that is probably one of the single most uh, detrimental quotes for people in jiu-jitsu um and there's some truth to it but i think it can be commonly mis- uh, misunderstood uh so like for example someone's like you know i'm always going to do an arm bar right for someone who's new you need to be playing your position right so if i'm in you know closed guard and the guy's positioning himself in such a way that the arm bar is just not available, but the collar choke is wide open. You take the collar choke, right? Um, if you're in a position and you go for a collar choke, then he defends and then the arm bar is open, then you take the arm bar. So just so you need to be fighting against the position you're in, not trying to always force the same thing. So I see a lot of guys where they want to like, you know, they'll, they'll learn a new move and like, I'm going to master this move. Then I'm going to learn another daily Hiva sweep, but you can't do that because if someone's blocking your move, you you have to have a substitute to fix that block. That's what being technical is. You can't like you can't get good enough at like the, like say you're uh, trying an omoplata and the guy's got his elbow attached to his knee, right? You there's no amount of drilling or hard work that's going to make your leg phase through his arm and do the omoplata. He's blocking it. You have to do a different move. You just have to, right? So I find that people start trying to like really force one thing always. But you can't do that. You have to, you know, you, you can a little bit, but you at least have to develop other moves around that, right? So I think people take too much of a uh, technique focus as opposed to a positional focus. When I fight, I'm always reacting to what my opponent is doing, 
right? If he's standing a certain way, I respond a certain way. I can't always force the same thing, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And you're, and you're finding techniques that work uh, together or address different situations that lead him back to your where you want to be, but just trying to have one move that you're going to get. Like, like you said before, like, Somebody in this tournament is going to not respond to that well, and you need to be able to address that. Like the wrestler will Absolutely. get taken down. He needs to respond to that, or he's not going to win the tournament. There's, I mean, that one, you will win three or four matches, but you're not going to win the tournament because somebody's going to do a better takedown than you. Somebody's going to exactly. approach your guard differently, and your spider guard won't be available for you. You need to have a, you need to have a plan B, and that maybe it will lead you back to your spider guard. Maybe it won't, but you'll have options that work well together. That uh, Exactly, that for sure. Mind. Thank you, Jonathan, for the quote. Um, he says, I mean, that's a good, he makes a good point. You have to have other ways to get um, your jiu-jitsu across. You can't just have one thing in mind. You can't only be an umaplata, umaplata. If he's blocking that, you need to be able to transition. Yeah, definitely, Byron. Uh, you do have to have other options. Um, you know, you want to know a little bit about everything and, and try to be pretty good at everything. But, you know, if you're you're on something too long, uh, it's not working, you definitely need to transition it. Well, you know, it's good to have a broad depth of knowledge there. Absolutely. I mean, th- that comes back to the um, the idea of learning a couple moves from each position um, when you first start jujitsu. You need to, if you're only trying to do one thing, it could be uh, it could be impossible to do that person if they know it's coming. You need to have an option. You need to move on. That being said, you do need to have moves that you are excellent at um, and that that you really excel at that that work well together. I mean. You get the master of some moves to, to do well in jiu Yeah, definitely. You know, it's always nice to have your, your go-to move, you know, somewhere where you're going to go to. and You get in that position a lot, somebody defends it. You're, you're going to have options going from there. You know, you, you've probably had it defended before, and you're like, okay, I'm going to switch to so-and-so from there. And, uh, you know, depending on how your opponent reacts, and you just keep going down that road. That's right, Gary. That music is, is rolling in. Um, and that means it's time for the uh, article of the week. That's right. What do we have this week, Gary? Uh, today we have a uh, article: uh, three ways to deal with uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu injuries in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, another article from uh, Stefan Kesting. That's right, guys. And if you have an article or you've read one that you think we might like, send it to bjjbrick at gmail dot com. Um, I'll take the first one here. Um, you know, he, I mean, he starts off by saying everyone's you're going to get some injuries. It's common in the sport, you know. Um, but the first thing he says, don't rush back too fast. And I think Gary and I are both have both been guilty of this. Yeah, if it's a serious injury, respect it and, and take the time. You know, yeah, definitely, like you said, if it's a serious injury, respect it, respect it, take some time. But, you know, it's hard because we all love this sport so much. Yeah. A lot of us think we're superhuman and, we, you know, we want to get back on the match. We try to roll slow, you know, thinking, hey, we can do this. And uh, it's hard to stay off, but, you know, uh, that is a good piece of advice. You know, don't do something that's foolish. You rush back, you know, too fast and train too hard. You're going to be out longer. And who knows, maybe you're never going to be able to come back. So, uh, you know, that's a good piece of advice right there. Yeah, if you're going in for surgery or, um, you know, you have a major injury, um, it's probably good to listen to your doctor and, but, you know, um, take a little break and, and he, he'll get into other things in this article about which, which you should be doing yeah definitely you know and, and point number two you know uh, while you're out you know it's, it's easy to uh, you know gain weight uh, you know get a little out of shape so you know the big thing he says you know watch your diet and do anything you can do to maintain your fitness 
you know. So, you know, try to eat healthy. Um, you know, let's say you've got a, a, a torn pack or, you know, a, a bad shoulder. You know, you can probably still get out and run, you know, maybe ride a bike, uh, you know, do the elliptical machine. So, uh, you know, try to find some sort of exercise you can still partake in without uh, hurting your, your injury, you know, aggravating your injury anymore. Yeah, that's a that's a big thing. And you want to come back successfully, you've got to keep moving. Yeah. yeah it's like it uh, right our, our buddy Craig said, that, that couch is nothing but a coffin. If you're going to just, I mean, that's giving up. You just, just to go lay on the couch all day and try to heal, your body's not going to yeah. adjust to that well. Yeah, you know, and, and I can even tell you, like, right now, you know, I'm kind of nursing a little back injury. And, and you know, I noticed kind of that. feel better is when I'm, doing a little bit of exercise you know i try to roll a little bit slower but but when i'm not rolling you know if i just get on an elliptical machine it doesn't bother my back but you know it gets blood pumping and uh gets my legs moving stretching them out and it makes me feel better so uh you know test everything out see what feels good for you what you can do you know but the big thing is if you're still working out go back to number one you know don't do something foolish you know make sure it's uh, uh you know not aggravating your injury anymore i'm going to keep you out longer I guess that's why it's his number one uh, tip there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, number three is another big one there. Uh, he says, keep your head in the game. And, you know, I find that helps me a lot, you know, there too, is, you know, one big thing when you're hurt and you're not, you know, trying to do a little bit of exercise is, is watch videos, you know, study instructional or read articles. And, uh, you know, it keeps your head in the game. And, and I found it myself when I'm out just by watching videos, it seems like I come back and my mind's really strong. You know, I might be a little slow, a step or two slow in my moves, but my mind's right there. And as long as I've got that, I know as soon as my shape comes back, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be right there as good as I was before or better. And so uh, I think that's helped me a lot. He mentions uh, working different parts of your game to around your injury. And I think that I, I know you've done that quite a bit. Um, and I and I've done that as well. But, you know, sometimes you can't do your favorite move, or you can't do um, play your favorite guard, or something like that. You have to adjust. And that, yeah, and that, yep. in the long run, that might even help you. It might get you out of oh, that yeah. plateau you've been on. Yep. And I've I've had that happen numerous times. I'm glad you brought that point up. Is uh, you know I may not be able to work my top game, and you know that's kind of what's happened to me right now with my back a little sore. Like I feel better working the bottom game. So uh, you know I'm working different things on the bottom right now where. I might have been focusing on the top game, and, and it's just going to just make you better. So you can't go wrong with that. Yep. So that article is Three Ways uh, to Deal with Injuries in BJJ. Yeah. It's on grapplearts.com. So just swing by, check it out. There'll be a link for it in the notes. Yep, and we'll put a link right there. So definitely uh, check it out and, uh, uh, and definitely help your game out. Without any further ado, we'll get to our interview with OSTAP. Um, so here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Ostap on the phone with us today. How are you doing today? Hey, Byron. I'm doing good. Good. For the people who don't know you, um, you've got a really good resource for people online. Just your YouTube channel is. I mean, could you describe what you do on YouTube for people? Yeah, sure. So uh, my YouTube channel is YouTube.com/OstapBJJ, and what I do is I try to release a video once a week where I break down techniques and usually. What we do is we take a look at a clip from like a high-level match. It's so like all the top guys in jiu-jitsu. And we look through the technique, then we rewind, and we kind of go through it slowly. And I try to comment on like the different transitions, the grips, 
the things that I think are important, and just try to give people kind of a sense of what it's like to really like break down footage and hopefully give them some cool new techniques to try out and also to sort of like appreciate how good the really good guys are. Yeah. You could you could definitely tell that in your videos that you um you're pointing out some really fine details and some a lot of really cool like timing things that come up and and uh I mean it really just highlights especially if you're I don't know new or not new but it, if you haven't realized some of the subtleties that go on having it's, it's great because you pause it you rewind it and show it again um sometimes and and it really lets you see what's going on yeah i know i was first inspired by that kind of deal was uh back when eddie bravo releases like twister yeah i think it was called so it wasn't an instructional but it was just him commentating over his own matches and that one didn't have like rewind or anything but i thought it was like really entertaining and you got kind of like uh, an inside feel for what's going on. So I always like those kind of videos. Also, Ryan Hall used to do him back when he was with Lloyd, where he would have like him like triangling a bunch of people and he was just like talking through what yeah, he was doing. Yeah, I remember that too. And like those are some of my favorite ones. And I wanted to kind of do a similar thing. I also include some of my own matches, but they're obviously not as good as like the really high level guys. They're good. Let's talk a little bit about you. Um, where do you train at? I mean, your belt level and, and things like that. Yeah. So right now I'm a brown belt. I train in Toronto, Canada. Uh, I'm under Elliot Baev, and I'm training out of Open Mat MMA. And I've been here for about like three years. I got my brown belt from Elliot. And before that, I trained at a few different places. I spent a bit of time in Arlington, Virginia, training at 50-50 with Ryan Hall and Seth Smith. And uh, before that, a few other gyms kind of around the Toronto area. Cool. What got you into to training jiu-jitsu? I got started – my first martial art was taekwondo, which I got – like a buddy of mine was in it. And I believe one day we were like playing Tekken, and there's this cool taekwondo character in Tekken, and that kind of got me really interested in it. So I did that for a little bit. After a while, I decided to look for something else. And I did Jeet Kune Do, which is like it's made by Bruce Lee and it's sort of an like an amalgamation of different martial arts. So it's sort of like MMA before MMA happened. Yeah. And that was when I first did any kind of grappling. And I remember we had this like white belt that used to come by and he would teach a little bit because he trained jujitsu on the side as well. And man, he would just do like the craziest stuff. And even against like really, really big people. He was a small guy like me. And, like, it just looked like magic. Like, it didn't make sense how he could so, like, easily control somebody. And then after doing that for a little bit, I decided to, like, the grappling was the part that I enjoyed the most. So I just decided to focus on that and looked out for a, a jiu-jitsu school. Cool. Do you do mostly gi, no gi, or a little bit of both? I do both. Usually it's a lot of, like, gi during gi season. And then afterwards, we switch over a little bit more nogi, but generally still try to do gita to keep like the grips the same, so you don't forget about all the funky different grips you get you can get caught up in. Have you competed competed much? Uh, yeah, I competed quite a bit. Uh, I think I had roughly around like two hundred matches. Most of my competition has been at a uh, purple belt, especially when I was in the states. That was when I competed the most. 
And uh, I had some good results. Probably the, the biggest things I've done is at like in the gi, I won IBJJF Europeans. Uh, I medaled at Worlds twice. I won silver at Pan Ams. I also got silver at Pan Ams Nogi, and that was all at a uh, purple belt. Cool. That's that's a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of matches, and then a lot of accomplishments as well. That's really cool. Um, what do you attribute to that to your success on the mat? I mean, that's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> Mainly, it's like like just training a lot. Like, really taking ownership of your own jiu-jitsu. Yeah. I feel it's, like, a big, big thing. Like, no matter, like, where I trained, I always tried, tried to, like, train seriously and just try to, like, find people that are, like, either the same level as me or, like, better than me and just, like, constantly try to train with them as much as you can. And you're, you're, you're bound to, to improve. Also, when I had the chance to compete a lot, it was basically like I saved up money and put myself in a position where I can just spend some time doing jujitsu. So I didn't have to worry about like working a job or anything like that. Although when I did work to save up the money, like I was still training every day. So, so that, that time that you, you saved up some money and then you competed for a while. Mm-hmm. How long a time was that that you were able to? Hit? Uh, it was roughly like eight months. Okay. Was that pretty big, uh, jump in your development uh definitely so what had happened is i had just finished university and over my summers i was saving up money and so i decided to i wanted to find a place to train at in the states and i had a few ones that i was kind of like debating in my head and i ended up going with uh, 50 50 in virginia and so i spent my time there and i was just training two three times a day every day and competing like there were a lot of tournaments in the area so like i remember one time i think I had like four weekends back to back of just competing or like every other weekend sometimes but i got a lot of experience so it was really good cool yeah and 50 50 gym is a it's a great place to go train and, and we just had ryan hall on about uh three or four episodes back and um that it was yeah, a little like, it was a great episode to have him on there and his his uh ideas about jujitsu is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like my, my technique definitely got bumped up a, a big level training with Ryan and stuff. Cool. What do you do off the mat? So right now my job is I teach jujitsu. So I teach some of the classes at Open Mat in Toronto and uh, I also teach private lessons. So thankfully I still have the ability to like train a lot because i'm not working a nine to five yeah that's good that's your for- that's fortunate <laughs> yeah <laughs> how, how does teaching affect um they always say like by teaching it sometimes helps you um develop or, and think about the techniques a little bit at a deeper deeper level does that do you find that to be true yeah i definitely believe that for me i always liked teaching like when i first started jujitsu i i used to like, I wasn't super big on competition. I didn't compete a lot until, like, a few years into it. But I always liked teaching people kind of, like, the moves that I knew. Even as, like, a blue belt, like, purple belt. When I was in university, uh, we had, like, a jiu-jitsu club that I was a member of. And then when the other people graduated, I took over. So I had quite a bit of experience teaching, and I always liked it. I know there are some guys that, like, they just want to, like, roll and, like, compete. But for me... 
I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's because, like, it makes me feel good or, like, smart when I get to, like, show someone something I know. But I really liked it. And it definitely makes you – forces you to kind of, like, flush out the technique in your head because they have to explain it to someone. Like, everything has to make sense or else it's going to be tough for them to learn. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more because I could do a technique and then somebody will say, how do you do that? And I have to figure it out because, you know, it's if it's ingrained in your – in the way you in the way you roll and the way you grapple, um, you may not be thinking about it. And so, as you, you break it down to explain it to somebody, um, it, it'll it'll teach you more about that move than you than you already knew. Yeah, I find the other cool part about it is like there are moves that you just kind of like naturally do, and when you have when you have to teach it to someone else and you break it down, what it allows you to do it is it allows you to like kind of consciously start thinking about the move. And so you can apply sort of like your knowledge to the move and see if you can like tweak it and improve it. Whereas if you if you only ever did it like naturally in sparring, you would never have that chance to like think about it and see if like your other concepts of jujitsu can somehow like tweak it or upgrade it. Yeah, that that also makes sense. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about your YouTube channel, um, YouTube.com, and then uh, could you spell it out for us? Yeah, it's OSTAP BJJ, so O-S-T-A-P, and then BJJ. Okay, good. Um, could could you recommend a couple, if somebody has, hasn't seen any, in, um, if you're a student of BJJ, definitely check it out, because it um, it's a great learning tool. Um, could you recommend maybe two or three videos that people would kind of just see what you have to offer, like a base? Yeah, sure. So uh, I think one really cool move that I liked uh, it's a clip from Otavio Souza against Lucas Lepre. So if you just search like Otavio Lepre Omoplata analysis, you should find it. Okay. And uh, it's this really cool attack that Otavio does from a double sleeve. And it has some really interesting things because you see how he kind of like disguises his attack in his motion. And then he kind of like springs a trap. And it also has a really awesome follow-up from Lepre. And so you can really see, like, the importance of timing, of, like, setups, and all those kind of things. I also recently released one of my matches. So it's against uh, Joao Miao. And so that's, that's kind of, like, the other thing that I do is I go over some of my matches. And that one's cool because you get to see a little bit of what I'm thinking in the middle of the match. And a lot, a lot, a lot of times it's kind of, like, rules-based, where I say, like, oh, like, I tried not to stand up here, see if he would come on top. And, like, gives you a sort of sense of my plan going into it. Okay. So, I think those two are cool to check out. I also did, when I first started my channel, it started out being, like, I've been injured for a while. And one time I was just on Reddit, and I decided to make a post where, like, I'll just analyze other people's videos. And so, a bunch of people put them out, and I just look through them. The problem with it is, like, they're really long. It's, like, 15 minutes. And I'm sure it helped the one person a lot, but if you don't have the same kind of issues, it may be a little bit boring to watch, but you could also check those out. I, I've watched several of those, and I, I do enjoy them. Um, I'm just kind of... It, it's nice um, to have commentary during a jiu-jitsu match um, to help explain what's going on and what maybe should be going on if, if it's not happening. And a lot of the lower-level mistakes, the people, everybody makes them. Yeah. So like, like I know there, there's some things that are like really common, like 
Like, just letting the guy get close guard on you a lot. Uh, and, like, try, like, just not using your frames on, like, half guard. Things, things like yeah. that are, are really, really happen a lot, like white belt, blue belt. I remember I uh, talked with Justin Rader a while back, not on the podcast, but he came to town. And uh, he's real big on not even being in someone's close guard. And I'm... I was like, that's a good idea. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that makes a lot of sense because it's terrible to get out of someone's close guard. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, you can't even, you have to do some things before you can start to pass. Like, why not, exactly. you know, and I was like, that's, that's, uh, that's a good game plan. Yeah, What's it's the, like the other guy doesn't even have to do anything. Like, he can just attack you for free. Yeah. He's got, yeah, yeah free shots at you while, while you try to, try to start to work. Yeah. <laughs> um, Having seen a little bit of myself on, like, uh, you know, tournament footage and, and you watch it, sometimes it's kind of hard. It's like, oh, oh yeah. what am I doing? That I'm doing the, Is that, do you get any of that when you yeah, watch or review? Yeah, I definitely do. Okay. Like, honestly, I should probably watch my own matches a little bit more. But, uh, like, I'm really good watching, like, other people's matches and, like, for, like, some of my students, I break down their videos too. But there's always that weird feeling. It's kind of like when you hear your voice for the first time. It's like, is that really what I look like? <laughs> uh, but you just kind of, you have to like bite the bullet and do it. Yeah. It, it'll really, really help you. Usually I, I have to wait a bit. Like sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But like if you wait like two or three weeks and then watch it, you'll have a clearer head. And, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. I mean, especially if you lose by like a controversial way and you're looking at it, you're not watching to learn what you did wrong. You're watching to see how the ref <laughs> you know, got 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 it bad for you, and you know, so let any emotions cool. Or if you think you just did really well, you know, let those feelings go a little bit, and then rewatch it. And then you know, obviously, you can't break down everyone's video, so that's a good um, a tip maybe for for somebody else. Um, yeah. You know, get a video and bring it in and show it to some of the more advanced students, and or maybe your instructor, and, and you know, just on your phone maybe, and maybe they can give you some tips. Yeah, the other thing too is like when you watch your own game. A lot of the time, it's like you don't see your own mistakes because, like, if you if you really have like a game plan and you follow it, it's like you know what you're doing and you know your reasons for it. But like, if you still got caught, it's like you're not so sure where yeah. the mistake was. Maybe so. Yeah, definitely asking for like different people's opinions can really really help. Yeah, that's good advice on on in, improving your competition um, performances. Yeah. What advice would you give a, a student who's looking to do their first tournament? Uh, the first thing is definitely take it as like a learning experience. And I had one of my one of my students who does uh, private lessons with me. He wanted to compete, and the kind of deal that I made with him is like, if you want to compete and like give it a good shot, like don't compete once, but give yourself less like five competitions. And then the fifth one is really the one that you're aiming to do well at. Because a lot of times for, like, your first competition, it's almost like your first time rolling. Yeah. Like, the first time you roll, like, you have, like, the jitters, like, you're very anxious. You don't know what it's like, so your body reacts, like, in not an ideal way. So, definitely, like, don't buy into the results too much. I know for myself, like, my first competition... I lost, and it was bad. It was like, I had to wake up early morning. We traveled to Montreal, which was like, 
like seven hours, I get there, and then I get triangled in like thirty seconds, and that was it. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a common experience as well for people. To yeah. I mean, that's a long drive home, but that's that's a, a like a, a bump in the road where you decide whether you're going to keep doing this or you're like that was not what I thought it was going to be. It wasn't very fun, and it, it was a whole. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, I like your idea of decide to do a few and the first uh, several are going to be learning and I'm going to get better through that, which kind of brings me back to thinking about when you said you took some, you, you saved up some money and you competed for a while. How was like the beginning of that versus the end of that? Like your confidence on the mat and your game plan. And I mean, could you describe that a little bit? Yeah. So up to that point, I think I had competed... Like, back in Toronto, I was competing pretty frequently, too. Uh, I definitely got, like, you just get very comfortable with it. It's, like, just another day. There's still a bit of anxiety, but, like, you get very used to local competitions. Uh, When I went out to do, like, Worlds that year, there was still a bit of a... Because it was my first time at Worlds, so there's still, like, an impact of, like, the event. But the other good thing with competing a lot is that you have a chance to sort of test out your mental preparation. So this is something that recently I got really into. And it's just making sure that, like, your mind is functioning right and not uh, sort of messing you up. So there's a lot of times when people compete, like, you just get, like, negative thoughts that come in and people haven't really trained to deal with it. Yeah, It's a skill like any anything else. And, like, I read a book, it's called With Winning in Mind. Okay. It really helped me a lot. And one of the simplest ideas, and I don't know how, like, psychologically true it is, but it seems to work. But it's just, if you give your mind something to focus on, like, you can only focus on one thing at a time. And sometimes when when you talk to people who are, especially competing for the first time, they have all these, like, weird thoughts in their head, like, like, oh, like, I didn't have a, a good night's sleep, or... Like, they start eyeing their opponents, like, man, that guy looks really big, he looks really small. <laughs> like, he's doing, like, double legs to warm up. And you just have to recognize that thinking those thoughts in that moment isn't going to help you. Yeah. And I take it to the extent where even, like, I personally, I don't like to think of techniques on the day of. Like, I'm not thinking, like, counters or, like, oh, what if this guy does this, I do that. Every, all of that is, should already be programmed in your body. And all you need to do is just try to be confident. I like to focus on, like, there's certain mantras I say. I also just try to visualize myself doing well, but I don't try to get into the techniques or be over-analytical. I think being analytical is really important, like, outside of when you compete. But yeah. when you're competing, like, you got to be in the moment. You can't be, like, analyzing and being in your head and that kind of stuff. It just slows you down if you have to to, to think about what you're going to do. You need to be like an autopilot. and Exactly. Well, that's, inter- that's another thing. I have like this little pet peeve uh, where when I coach, I'm generally like I don't like to say stuff to people. Yeah. I call it like remote control coaching. It's like you see some coaches where they just like yell out every move for their competitor to do. Yeah. And it's like one, you're kind of tipping off <laughs> what's happening. And two, it's like if you have to tell your athlete what to do, then like they're just not prepared. Yeah. yeah. 
sometimes I think it's really important. Like if you can visually see that, like okay, like they're in a spot that they're not used to and they're like confused, and the matches like kind of like slow down a bit, it could be helpful. But for me, it's sort of like you go out there, you compete, we get video, and then we'll analyze it after, try to fix up, get some improvements, and then send you back out there again. Yeah, I I I like your ideas of the coaching because you see it a lot you see the guy now grab his hand dude you're gonna do your arm bar or you gonna arm bar his left arm <laughs> like calm down he just just tell him to do his move or you know I, I like to try to if they look like they need it a little bit of confidence like this you've been yeah. here a million times before you know your move you know get you know kick him in the butt if they need to do some work you know like try to encourage him or let him know the time or i mean the funny thing too that i find is like people that aren't experienced i think in competing yeah uh, they think that that's like bad coaching and that the people who are like telling him precisely everything to do, like, oh, like that's a really good coach. <laughs> I find that funny. Yeah, that is. It's funny because you'll see the guy counter before the other guy even starts to try it. Yeah. So, I mean, if I'm telling you to, to go for a triangle and it's your best move out there, he's already, his alarm is going off for triangle defense. I mean, yeah. that, it just seems ridiculous that that, that is... I mean, it has to have some pe- people do it, I guess. But it's just tell him to do the moves that he's you know, do your move. You know what to do, or you know, set up your combo, or that. I mean, just encouragement. I think is that's how I coach anyway. And I'm sure there's better coaches than me out there that 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 coach differently. But it is kind of it's interesting to watch a guy get told what to do on yeah. the mat. <laughs> I mean, like at the end of the day, it probably depends on like what the coach and athlete have kind of agreed upon. Yeah. Like maybe there's some people that find it very like relaxing or like confidence boosting when their coach is telling them what to do. So I can see it in that case. Yeah. But I know for me personally, like when I get coached, like I like consistent updates on like time and score. And yeah. Then, like, if you see, I'm like really confused with something and you think it's like good advice. Like, all right, yell it out at me. But, yeah, if you're yeah, if definitely a guy's stuck in something he's not used to being in, like you said before. That's you could really help him out of that. Yeah, but you're not going to coach him into his best move any better than he could do it on his own. Yeah, exactly. Remote controlled coaching. I think that's that's a good term for that. <laughs> you mentioned that uh, book uh, with winning in mind. Uh huh. Um, what are some of the key takeaways from there? Okay, so one was the thing that I mentioned. You can only have one thought. Okay, yeah. Uh, another one is, it's, it's by this dude named Lanny Bassham, I believe is how you say it. Okay. And he was a two-time Olympic, I want to say gold medalist, at a, and his sport was shooting. Okay. So it's like, that's a sport that I would think is like near 100% mental. So I think it's pretty cool because of that. And... He was saying how there's sort of three kind of areas that relate to your performance. So one is, it's called something like conscious, conscious something. And it's basically like how you do day of. And that's where it's important to make sure like your thoughts on the day of competition are like positive and things like that. The other part is your unconscious skill. And that's where, like, all your training and where you, like, do your repetitions, you get your game kind of ingrained in your body, that's where that's important. And for a lot of people, like, if their unconscious skill is really, really good, but they don't perform well at tournaments, then it's not that, like, they need more skill necessarily to do well. 
it could be that that other area is what's too small. Or, sorry, not too small, but, like, too uh, unskilled. Yeah, underdeveloped. or Yeah, underdeveloped. The other area, which was cool, was uh, your self-image. And this one, I think, really helped me. And it was just the idea that you have to, like, actually believe that you're, like, that, like, you deserve to win or that you should win or that you're, like, on the same level as the guys that you're competing against. And what some of the things that it involves is just kind of, like, giving yourself a little saying that you, like, write out and you just repeat to yourself every single day. And then, like, ideally after, like, doing, like, a month of it, like, you should feel like you, like, actually belong in your division that you deserve to win. And the idea is that, like, if all three of those areas are, like, uh, developed and leveled out correctly, like, that's when you get your best performance. You may not win, but it is where you get to perform at, like, your peak level. Cool. I'm reminded of uh, two episodes we've already done. We interviewed uh, Coach John Connors, and he he was real big on um, that self-image and in in that confidence that it gives you. And then just a little while ago, we had uh, an author uh, of the book Talent Code, Daniel Coyle, and oh, nice. I asked him what it was like, um, what's going on in the mind of a of a top competitor when they're competing. And he said, um, you, you know, it's hard to. They, they hooked up a brain scan to, to people and you can't really hook up a, you know, a brain scan to somebody who's grappling. So they did it to like a guy swinging a golf club and I forgot the other sport, but you know, sports where they could, they could check that and largely nothing. Like you said, you shouldn't be thinking of techniques. It should be easy for you to do. It shouldn't be a big deal. So yeah. their, their brains are largely clear of thought and you're on that autopilot. You've got your, like that, like the self image thing. Um, that's, that's really cool. Um, the way they relate to those uh, past episodes, and I'll definitely be checking that book out and see, <laughs> seeing how that helps out. What's it? Uh, no, sorry, just one more thing. Yeah. No, there's also because it was interesting with me talking to, like other competitors about what they think about before their matches, and I remember John Thomas was saying that like he just tries to be as like blank as possible. For me, I try to like I'm just kind of like, intensely like focused. Usually I'll just have like a saying in my head. Uh, sometimes I know, like when I'm passing guard. Yeah. If I am thinking of anything, all it is, I just say like, I will pass, I will pass, I will pass. Just like constantly repeating it in my head. And I remember one of my other uh, buddies from Toronto, Alessandro, he was saying that he just like thinks of girls <laughs> as he's in like <laughs> a warm up area, just trying to stay relaxed. That's funny. I like your. Uh... Your your mantra while you're passing the guard keeps you busy, and it gives you it, a, it gives you confidence, and you know that you could do this. You just have to find the right way and, and, and get it to happen. But um, you know, you're not going to sit there and take a two minute break and possibly get swept or some. You know, you're you're passing, yeah. passing, passing. That's that's a cool way to think of it. The other cool thing I remember, I think it relates really well with passing. Is I remember in the middle of my match, like I got really close to finishing a pass, but the guy recovered and he like recovered well. And when that happens, is like you have kind of two ways of thinking about it. On the one hand, you could be like, "Oh shit!" Like I just did my best pass, and he recovered. And it was so easy for him. Yeah, I can't pass him. Or on the flip side, you could be like, "Man, I just got real close to passing this dude. Like one or two more times, and I'm gonna get through." And that difference is like it's huge, huge when you're competing. So you already have that um, in your head when you go in that if you come close. 
you're going to, and you don't quite make it, you switch to the mode where I'm going to do this. I came close already once. It's going to yeah. happen in the next time or two. So exactly. you're, you're, you're keeping your, your mind where it's been before. You're not having to like convince yourself that this is possible because you've, you've used that trick many times yeah. and, and it's easy for you. That's a cool. Uh, that's that. Those are some excellent tips. Um, everybody, uh, there's a thing about blue belts. You know, as a white belt, you're supposed to have a rough road, and you're not supposed to be all that great. I mean, some white belts are obviously better than others, but you get that blue belt, and suddenly you're thrown in there with, you know, all the other blue belts. Some are close to purple, and and some of the white belts that are good um, might get the better of you. It's a rough belt to be. Um, and a lot of guys end up dropping out at the blue belt level. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself as a blue uh, belt and, and some challenges you might have overcame? This is a little bit tough for me because, I don't know, I never I never had like the idea of like quitting yeah. or, or that it being tough. What I want to say is it probably depends a lot on like the person. Like I was like young and like pretty competitive and I really liked it. But I could see if you're like a little bit older, have like a lot of responsibilities, and you just earn your blue belt, and now you're just getting beat up all the time. Uh, like that would be rough. At the end of the day, it's like you just keep training. Yeah. One thing too is uh, I, I tried my best not to buy into belts too much. So all I mean by that is like my goal is just like skill acquisition. I'm just trying to develop more and more skill at the various areas of jujitsu. And so like the belt that I have shouldn't really matter. Like there will always be people that are better than you and that beat you up. Uh, you try to make it, have it like be a, a positive thing for you instead of a negative thing. We're like, Oh, it's cool. I could get to that level one day if I stick with it as opposed to being like, Oh, this guy's so much better than me. Oh, I'll never be as good. Like there's nothing stopping you from becoming good. Like all, all jujitsu is at the end of the day is you're making decisions with your body. And once you know the right decisions to make, like that's when you're like world-class black belt. They just are really good at making the best decisions at the best time. And I feel that anyone theoretically can achieve that. The other thing that I think really helps is finding a partner who's like on the same page as you. Yeah. You guys have like, roughly the same skill level and you guys have the same kind of goals like you see it a lot in like really top guys that have like brothers or just like really good friends that they train with all the time like that i find is really helpful a lot of the time i had a person who like like we had same goals we want to train a lot and if we have problems in roles like oh like this one guy's really really tough like what do you do in his guard when he does this or when he does that and when you have someone to talk about it, it be, it's it's it, it gives you it feels more like you're problem solving instead of just like pitying yourself or like wishing you were better. Yeah, I mean having having a person, I like how you point out that they're not like light light years ahead of you, and you're not working with a brand new guy. You're working with somebody that's close to your level, and you're bouncing ideas off each other and sharing some things that may be giving you trouble. Um, and that's a good person to to try things with because you, I mean, if there's similar skill level, if you do it right, you should be able to get it to work. Yeah. The other thing too is sometimes when someone beats you, just recognize that it's not that they're like so much better than you at everything. Like sometimes it's just like you keep getting caught with one pass. 
Like, let's say it's a knee cut to your, like, bad side, the side that you don't train. And you're like, man, this guy keeps passing me all the time. But if you just plug that hole in, all of a sudden, like, he never passes your guard again. So just try to just, like, focus in on what the problem might be. And sometimes if you solve, like, one problem, like, all of a sudden you feel like you and this guy are on the same level. Yeah. That's interesting. I, there are guys who I who I literally can, you know, I can't pass their guard one way. I switch the other way, and there's the way I pass and the way that they defend the pass. It's not that difficult. So yeah. that's, I mean, that's that's a good little example you have of just like a plug in that little hole, figure out what you what you're doing wrong in that area, and in uh, changing that matchup, and then it's back to being competitive again. Yeah. So. You, a couple of times you've you've left home and trained somewhere else for a little while. You've mentioned that. How how would you if someone's thinking about doing that? What tips would you would you give them? Uh, I mean, you saved up some money and and prepared for that. Yeah, like make sure your finances are in order. Like I probably wouldn't recommend you like take out a loan or something. To yeah, go travel and train. Uh, definitely do your research. Like find a place that. So, for example, when I when I uh, decided to go to Virginia, like I dropped in there for roughly a month, so I kind of scouted it out, see how it was, and then I committed to a longer stay. Uh, but make sure that like your living arrangement is like taken care of and stuff like that. I know for me it was kind of rough because I had to like I sent in like a check to someone that I just talked to over the internet, and I was like crossing my fingers that they're not just gonna take my money. But I know there are some places where, like, the living's included, so, like, that stuff's, like, perfect. Yeah. And I think the cool thing with traveling is, like, it gives you a feel for different games. And another thing that it really helped me with is you kind of see that jiu-jitsu really is, like, it's the same everywhere, more or less. I mean, there are obviously some schools that are, like, more modern, have slightly different techniques. But the guys that are good in different academies, even that I found, like, the world-class ones... They just share like similar characteristics. Like they're, they just train really, really hard. Uh, they pay a lot of attention and like focus. And most of the time, like jujitsu is about like it's not that there's like this instructor giving out like all this like gold to his students. It's like you you have to earn it. Like you you're the one who makes your jujitsu better. And like going somewhere else, hoping that some guy's gonna make you really, really good. Yeah. Like it's it's just really not the way it works, at least from my experience. Yeah, and you mentioned that at the beginning of the, of the interview that you have to own your jiu-jitsu and you're or be responsible for how you develop. Yeah, I think that's that's huge. Like any guy that I know that's really really good, like like I, I he just it's not about coming to class and someone teaching him. It's about like he's trying to like figure out and like discover jiu-jitsu for himself. And the instructor is still very important. Like, if you have a great instructor, like, the journey is a lot easier. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's, it's always on you. Like, if something's wrong, it's your fault, basically. At least with that kind of attitude, you can always continue improving yourself. Absolutely. It's it's hard. Um, I couldn't imagine a serious jujitsu person um, who's gotten past, like, the basics, you know, the first year or so of jujitsu, and then they just come to class and work on what the instructor taught that day, and then that's it. Like that's that's letting that instructor, you know, and, and they will show you some some good stuff for you, but 
you need to pick out things to focus on and to develop on your own because the instructors, I mean, most jiu-jitsu classes, they kind of float around in a, in a sea of techniques over the course of a year to show like a wider range of things. But like you need to own that and figure out like this is my, okay, I can't do this move very well, but this one is going to be one I'm going to work on a lot. And you're not just every day work on the one thing that, or the couple things that they show key on the key in on a few things, go home and study, you know, watch some videos online and, and get some instruction and, and, and develop your own game. Yeah. The other thing that I find too is like one of the key things is like to be inspired by sort of whatever you're working on. Yeah. If you like really want to learn something and like for no reason other than you think it's really, really cool. Like you are going to put in some serious like time and dedication to it. I know like that's what happened to me. For example, like one attack that I use a lot is the reverse Delahiba spin under. Uh, Some people call it kiss of the dragon. Okay. I remember I first saw it with like Cobrina did it to I think every single one of his opponents at ADCC and it just looked like so freaking cool and then I just kept on trying to do it just because I liked the move and eventually became like one of my best attacks. That's big on the being inspired by the, by what you're working on. If you have uh, like no motivation behind it, you're you're not your mind's not going to think about it when you're off the mat, you know. You're not going to get get that benefit of mm-hmm. of of watching the extra couple videos or you're watching it again you're just gonna yeah i'll try and 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 mess around with it but if you got some passion behind it it lights that fire behind you and, and really helps yeah. explode their your ability mm. what does a full day of training look like to you uh okay so right now i'm not training as seriously as i was just because like I've been injured for the past year, more or less. Okay. So I'll try and remember back to when I was training for like Worlds and Pan Ams. Usually it was around noon. We'll train for like two, two and a half hours. So it's roughly like first hour is some kind of drilling. And then after that, it's sparring. Sometimes in our drilling, we also do positional sparring. Yeah. And then before evening class... Uh, usually me and my buddy Dan Davis, we would, uh, we would come in early and we would drill for roughly an hour and then we would do evening class and then evening class is usually like one and a half to two hours. And like the second half of it is rolling. So at the end of the day, it's like some days like four or five hours. And that's usually, I did it five days a week and then Saturday, just train one time. Okay. But a lot of it too, is like, you just feel how your body feels. If like midweek, I feel really rough. Like I may only train once. Sometimes I'll even take the day off. Now, based on kind of what I experienced uh, in terms of injuries after that, like, I don't know if that's the smartest thing to do just cause like, I feel probably a lot of the sparring is just like really rough on your body, but that's, that's how I did it. How were you injured? Just over time, or it was like a chronic. It slowly progressed, where like my low back and my hips got like extremely tight, like to the point where like I couldn't really do anything, and then eventually it just turned into like a constant pain. So I'm not sure like what happened exactly. I tried to like take time off; it didn't help, and I tried all sorts of different things, 
the most recent thing I've been doing is yoga and like the instructor that I have, I feel is really, really good. And it's helped me like a ton. So like I can train every other day now, which is huge for me. Uh, so I'm hoping to be back soon and hopefully I don't get hurt like that again, but I don't know exactly what it is. So something with my like low back and hips is off. And it's been over a year. Yeah. Like I've had MRIs on it and MRIs are totally clear. Some people have told me that my SI joint is loose. Okay. And that there's like nothing you can do about it, but like the yoga helped, the pain is gone. I can train. So I'm going to keep riding that train. Well, good. Stops. <laughs> um, you mentioned doing some yoga. Do you, would you, would you do anything other, other than that off the mat for, for training purposes or just on the mat as much as you can for, for two times a day and then, and then off the mat? I have tried on and off doing like strength and conditioning, kind of like just basic weightlifting. Yeah. Sometimes I've done it and it's been good. Sometimes I feel like my body just can't handle that much like volume of training. The one thing that I always do, and this is something I got from John Thomas, is like if I'm doing gi season, like I work my grips extra. So I do like gi pull-ups or just gi hangs. Yeah. Because that, like, your grip strength as opposed to all the other strength, I think, is probably the most important thing. Because it's such a big difference when, like, if I grab a hold of you and you can break my grip, it's a very different game than if I grab a hold of you and you cannot break my grip. Like, so those are two different animals. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big that's a big deal if the, if the grip is easily broken. So um, with your injury and, and your teaching and your other things, what are your, your goals? So, while I'm still kind of like young and in my sort of prime, and if my body's feeling good, I want to compete like in the big tournaments as much as possible. Like, I want to do as well as I can. But the big long-term goal is I want to have my own gym, and I want to run like a successful school, train some of the best athletes in the world for jiu-jitsu. That's the long-term. Like, even when I got into competing, I feel my goal was like, I want to get to as high level as I can so that I can like be better at teaching it. That's the end goal. So not sure when exactly like the big transition is going to happen from like competing to coaching. Yeah. I imagine I'll, I'll be doing at, at a certain point, like both a lot. Like I teach right now, but it's like, I'm not like as committed to it as I would be if I had like my own school or something like that. Do you think you would, uh, move to somewhere else or, or teach some like for your own school do you have any idea of that or is that too far off yeah that's still a little far off i'm not sure i, I could see both happening uh i'll kind of wait about it think about it don't know yet um like to just ask you a little bit about the current rules in jiu-jitsu and how they affect um you know some of the matches and and the way the matches go and the, the way they look do you have any uh opinions about the current rules Man, like, I'm really excited to see how the new double guard pull rule is going to play out. Like, I'm not a big fan of double guard pull. I've done it a bit. Like, I've played around with it. But uh, I think it'll be cool if it forces someone to pass. Other than that, like, I don't have a big problem with the rules. For I think we're okay. I think one more thing is, like, there's probably a bit too much advantage for the personal bottom. And things like... Uh, where you almost sweep the guy, but purposefully don't get up. 
that stuff really bugs me. Yeah. Because you can rack up advantages on bottom, and they can't pass their guard. Like, they lose. So it's... But at the end of the day, it's like, it has to be, like, referee discretion. Like, they see that this guy's doing it on purpose, so they, like, penalize him or don't give him the advantage. And kind of same thing with stalling. Yeah. And on the flip side, people will complain, like, oh, like, this referee is doing it on purpose. Like, I actually tried to get up. It's tough when, like, the answer you feel is something subjective. Like, the referee needs to make a decision. But anytime the referee makes a decision, like, sometimes you could have a bad referee or things like that. So, it's tough. And you you mentioned the double guard pool rule. If somebody hasn't read the, the rules that came out recently, could you break that down for us? Yeah, so my understanding is if it's double guard pull and it's there for 20 seconds and there's, like, no threat of a submission or, like, back take, that they're going to stand up both athletes and penalize them both. Now, one thing that will be funny is, like, if they just keep doing double guard pulls, yeah. kind of playing, like, chicken until one guy decides to, okay, I'll, I'll play the top position. So that could potentially happen. But, if you, uh, if if you yeah. and me are competing, and we both get a penalty, how does that change anything? I feel it's just like one person. Well, if you get like three penalties, then the fourth you're gonna get DQ'd. But so, but do they they give they give each of us a penalty? They do. So we would both get disqualified. Uh, that's my understanding. Okay, if I mean you it's, both get at the same it's time. like we're both in the same train heading for the cliff. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> one of us has to decide to not pull guard. Well, like, so what? What could happen? For example, is let's say we double guard pull twenty seconds and stuff. We stand up. So then the question is, are you going to pull guard again? But if I pull guard and you don't, there's I don't get penalized for that, right? Correct. But I don't get penalized either, and I get to play my guard, and you have to pass me. So I mean, if I want to pull guard and you want to pull guard, I'm going to do it a second time, I guess. I mean. Okay, so if we're, we're both, both getting, again, yeah, and then we stand us up. So it's like who who cares less about having three penalties on them gets to play guard. <laughs> That's kind of like the funny part about yeah. it. Yeah. That's interesting. Jonathan Thomas mentioned that he would he would like to see that the guard puller get a negative one point right off the bat, making all advantages earned um, from the guard, like with near sweeps and near submissions, kind of irrelevant until you actually score a point. Yeah, that's that's an interesting solution. Uh, I mean, I don't. Know. It's a I'd hard really it's a hard puzzle like, to to solve. <laughs> yeah. I'd be interested in like seeing someone like test it out. Yeah. Like I, I could see it being all right, but then again, if it just turns out into like, because the cool thing about it is, if no one wants to pull guard for the minus one, then we actually get to see more stand up. Yeah. It seems like everyone wants to see. So. And if I. If I pull guard on you, I'm either conceding that I can't deal with your stand-up and I'm not going to take you down and I don't want to give up a point, or I desperately want to be in my guard and it might be worth a negative one point for me. Yeah. I mean... Like, I know John's point is like, if you feel your guard is good, like, what's it good for? It's supposed to be good for sweeping or submitting them. Yeah. So if you get one of those two, you still won the match. And like, like, it makes sense to me. Yeah, you can't. That would eliminate the the way to pull guard and then just get some advantages and, and slow it down. Yeah, that yeah. that would not get you a victory anymore. So yeah. that, that's an interesting way, and and we'll see how these the new rules play out, and hopefully they make it um, a little more dynamic and 
and get us yeah. some some more uh, uh, definitive finishes or endings. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. We've already talked about your YouTube channel. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, uh, how would they do that? Yeah, so if you want to shoot me an email, ostap, O-S-T-A-P-B-J-J at gmail.com. So I'm available for seminars if you guys want to do that. If you're visiting the Toronto area, please drop by Open Mat. If you guys want to uh, do a private lesson, just shoot me an email. Also, if any of you guys are interested in me watching one of your matches and analyzing it, okay? Get in contact with me for uh, pricing with that. Also, please check out my Facebook page, facebook.com slash ostatbjj. I post my videos there and uh, some other stuff too. So, yeah, that's all. Cool, and I'll put links to those to those places awesome. um, for people to find them easier. But, yeah, they sound like it would be good times, good training tools you, you, that you help people with. All right. Well, thanks for doing this interview with us, and, uh, and I'm sure people have have gained a lot. And if you haven't seen his videos, uh, swing by and check them out. All Definitely right. worth thanks it. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, Ostat, for um, the interview. We enjoyed talking with you, and, and uh, hope I, I know the fans uh, or the listeners appreciated uh, your advice and, and your traveling uh, or traveling tips and training tips as well. I mean, you gave lots of advice about everything. I thought it was interesting how. He he packed up and and he left for you know fifty fifty and he trained there for quite a while and he and he did that and then he went on that um, like a tournament you know circuit basically and he he competed a lot in a short amount of time and that really helped his game so that was kind of that was really neat to hear and and you, and you hear guys doing that and, and unfortunately Gary and I had never done anything quite like that so it was kind of cool to hear that yeah definitely uh, you know need to hear you know how how he trained and you know, those competitions and, you know, and, and I really, you know, like we talked about earlier is I uh, love watching the way he breaks down, uh, breaks down those matches. That's really helped too. Yeah. If you just, I mean, we'll put links obviously on, on the notes, but if you just, if you're on YouTube, type in OSTAP, O-S-T-A-P and, uh, he'll pull, lots of stuff will pull up and, and we start watching those breakdown videos. It's going to help you, help you roll better guys. Yeah, definitely. Um, can't go wrong with that. And, uh, we appreciate uh, Ostap taking the time out and uh, talking to us. Yeah. If you want to get a hold of us, uh, email is at gmail.com or you can just message us on our Facebook page. We do appreciate any five-star reviews we get on iTunes. It helps get the word out to more people. And if you have any articles or uh, you'd like us to check out or or even if uh, you have anybody you, you know that uh, you might want us to interview, you know, don't hesitate to send us an email. You know, we'll definitely uh, check it out and see if we can work that into our schedule. All right, we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu.